episode, I'm so excited to sit down with Mika Brzezinski, the host of MSNBC's Morning Joe. We caught Mika right after her three-hour show ended in her studios at iconic Rockefeller Center in New York City. We're here at 30 Rock with Mika Brzezinski, who is, above all other things and many things, my sister-in-law. Hello. And someone that has, I think that I, I can admit at some points I've been envious of, at some points, almost always, I've wanted to emulate, been inspired by, has given me some great advice. Sometimes it has infuriated me. Sometimes that has made me cry. I'm blunt. I've gone to my husband and, and complained about <laughs> you. But you know what? It's You've almost always been right. And you've always made me take a really hard look at myself. And, you know, sometimes at 25, it's not easy to be told that your hair is a mess, you look like a disaster, and you're putting up hideous selfies. But I kind of got over that. You know, it's funny. I also found that, because my mom's a lot like that, I always found that that's how I translated what she said. You're fat. When she would say, no, you're not, you're not eating healthy or something like that. And I'd be like, oh, my God, she thinks I'm fat. <laughs> or I would say, you know, I want your hair's distracting me, Natalia. You see yeah. it as your hair is a mess. Um, but, yeah, the Brzezinski's are really good at constructive criticism. <laughs> And we don't hold back. Have you noticed that? I Oh, absolutely. I feel now after seven years, you know, Mark and I have been married seven years. I find it a bit empowering. Well, it's I love. I think it gives you, people don't say those things in real life, but we do in our family. Well, it's kind of refreshing. You know, I don't know if my girls get it yet, but I will say the people <laughs> who I work with at Morning Joe, um, we're like a little family too. And I've always said, if I'm not saying anything, if I'm not giving you critiques, if I'm not telling you what I need and how I need it improved, then you don't matter. Then your work is not good mm -hmm. enough. It's not worth working on. So consider it like a huge compliment that somebody feels they can say to you, I need this from you. I know you can do better. I think you're actually not selling yourself, you know, long enough. Um so, and that's sort of what I saw in you. And I also saw, in my opinion, as you were especially working through the embassy days, mm. I found you were in a really hard position. I think it's really hard to be the wife of. I think it's even harder to be the wife of when you're really young. And we're still forming as people are ourselves. Everybody around you, including the people inside the embassy, including the people who come to the embassy, including the people in the administration, are looking at you and saying, she's kind of young. I wonder if she can reach the bar. And so you're just kind of like in a catch-22 from the get-go. And I think you did a great job. Thanks, I really Mika. do. I actually, I look at I was actually Googling you the other day, getting ready for this and watching videos of you giving toasts and making presentations. And I was really impressed. You were put under a lot of stress. You have a young daughter and a husband in an incredibly stressful position. It was a very, very tough few years. I think Mark and I both grew a lot. I think it was both tough and great for our relationship. Yeah. We aged 20 years, I think, in four. <laughs> it was hard on the family. You visited a lot. You knew that. But it was amazing at the same time. And I think, you know, sometimes we tell women, don't hold back. Yeah. Say yes to something. And I found myself after a while just saying yes to everything. Mm. And I think you followed that as well. 
some things really were disastrous. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, can you speak to a bank about women in finance? Sure. I don't know anything about banking. Some right. ways I really grew. And it's almost like this podcast today. I was saying, am I, am I really doing a podcast? I'm exhausted. My daughter's had her first week of school. It's not been perfect. I'm on this train at 10 p.m. saying, why am I leaving my family? My husband's in a new job. But at the same time, I love it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the struggle we have as women. And you've kind of really lived that. And I remember you so vividly. I've been also preparing for this. And I said, what do I think of when I think of Mika? And I just, we just had our seven year wedding anniversary. And I remember you, and we didn't know each other that well because Mark and I got married after like six weeks of knowing each other. So I remember you swept into this museum where we held our wedding and you looked so beautiful and you looked so busy. And I said, Oh, I want to be that busy. You know, Ugh. working so hard in America is a badge of honor. You're in demand. You were I on the think phone. At that wedding, I actually went upstairs and slept at in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> and I slept on a couch in the bathroom because I think it was a le- in the middle you of the election. You were just starting morning so, show, though. Yeah, look, there's a lot of pitfalls to being that busy. And we've seen them all. We know them all. And we're not going to bore you with that whining. We're just not. But um, I will say this. I think sometimes you might even underestimate, and a lot of women out there might underestimate the part that people don't see that you're worried if they found out that you'd be revealed as something less than, because those are the moments that make you really good at what you do and super real. For example, I remember Mark and you, when we were at the embassy visiting you. Oh, my God. Can you imagine Natalia telling her friends and anybody that I... Mark has been... He's going to be the ambassador to Sweden. We're moving to Stockholm. Well, that just sounds incredibly glamorous. That sounds amazing. Wow, what a lucky break. Um, I wish I could have what she's having. Oh, my gosh, no. I mean, I knew from the get-go it would be hard for the two of you. And I remember when you guys told me over dinner the story of arriving at the embassy... What month was it? November. It was the dead of winter in in Sweden. And I believe there's no sun in November, right? Is there ever sun? Not really. It's like two hours or something (laughs) like that. So it's pitch black. How old was Aurora? Two. You have a two-year-old. Okay, you guys are not like the ambassadors that usually get brought into these countries that have trusts that have tons of money, that have been CEOs or whatever, and they come with a staff, and they come with all that glamour that you assume the ambassador would. You came with your suitcases, your screaming two-year-old, and I believe my mother's sculptures, two of them, (laughs) huge. And you walk into this huge castle, and it's like echoing. It's pitch blackout. It's freezing. I don't know if you had electrical problems or something, but there was some huge issue getting in there. It was freezing. And you both were like, put you put down your little suitcases like little orphan Annie and we're like, uh, where are the diapers? You know what I mean? Like that must have been so hard. And for you kind of like, what the, how am I supposed to do this? That's where you take that moment yeah. and you look at this train trip to New York You're good. (laughs) Okay? You're fine. Aurora, first week of school, tough transition. She's good, too. Because because these things do make you stronger. Mika, I literally had, and this is a podcast, shit on my pants when I arrived. (laughs) Because she had diarrhea on the plane. But there you go. Welcome to motherhood. It's beautiful. (laughs) Welcome to the embassy. You stink. Yeah. (laughs) No, And I love that you say this. And 
I mean, part of this podcast is very much, it is inspired by you. And I love the scene in your latest book, Grow Your Value, about the White House panel that you oh, moderated. God. Yeah. Because like you, not as many, I haven't done as many, but I've attended tons of these things. I've mm-hmm. read every book on, nobody talks about the shit on the pants or the tooth that fell out right. during a panel like you had. Right. Why? Why well, didn't anyone because on that we panel... we want to be perfect and we want to show everybody that like it can be done if you're as good as me. I do think it's a judgy thing, and I think we need to stop. I mean, by the way, I can beat you. I can beat you about the shit on the pants because <laughs> I had one morning where I woke up with Carly, remember, with the broken leg. Yes. I literally woke up with every human excrement that can be produced <laughs> out of the body on me, from breast milk to urine to that to vomit in my hair um, <gasps> after a really tough night with the baby. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my gosh, what has happened to me? I have to go back to work in six days. I'm covered in human excrement. <laughs> um, but uh, back back to my point, um, look, that White House panel was, I think, so telling. I had on the stage with me Nancy Pelosi. I had Gloria Steinem. Mm. I had a very, very, very... Uh, um, groundbreaking professor from UPenn. I had Dr. Judith Roden, mm. who is the first female president of an Ivy League institution and is president of the Rockefeller Foundation. And um, I had Deborah Lee, the CEO of BET, on the on the the stage with me in front of two thousand people, and we're all talking about our know your value moments and how they figured out how to get their value and how it worked for them because of some incredible story and this and that. And they had great stories about you know how they struggled or how men didn't take them seriously or how they had to break through. Great stories. We've heard them all at this point though because we're here. The part I wanted to ask them about was you know the part where it doesn't work. And sometimes when something has to give, and sometimes when that something that has to give is actually in your home and it doesn't work so well, because we are, we are put to this unfair, I think, um, standard where we're supposed to make it all work at home and be perfect and have perfect marriages and great kids that go to Ivy Leagues and also go to work and do it really well. And guess what? Families aren't perfect. Kids get into really big trouble, especially kids of parents who work, not because they work, but because it happens to all kids. And so we hear about it. And I've had serious problems at home, both with my husband and my kids. And it has been a lot because of my job. And I wanted to know if there was anybody else on this stage who maybe had trouble balancing like me. And I said, so did you feel any struggle or strife at home because of your job? Did you ever have trouble kind of doing both and being both people at once? And there was this (sighs) over the audience. And they all looked at me like somebody passed gas. Like, seriously, it was like there was a bad smell in the room and I was it. Um, and And I was like, are you kidding me? Nobody. Uh, and, and then I was like sort of laughing. I'm like, you guys are not kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're all lying. Yeah. And so finally, Deborah Lee, she's great. She goes, well, I'm divorced. So maybe <laughs> that's something to do with it. And then Dr. Roden later, she goes, I've been divorced twice or something like that. But um, it's not just marriage, but it's your relationships. Everything suffers when you put your heart and soul into something. And to, to say that it doesn't is lying. 
And so for your generation, and I was thinking about this podcast mm -hmm. for you, so advice now, if I may, I really think that as this evolves, you can learn so much from our mistakes. I mean, forget looking up to me and being envious. It ain't pretty. Um, I, I'm saying take the part that worked and the part that didn't work. Take your generation and make your generation do it better. How do you guys do this better? We're here. You ought to make that your mission. No, Mika, that's it. I mean, this is it. And when I said it's inspired by you, I mean, I think because Mark is older than me, I've been really lucky. And then we had this embassy experience to be put in front of some of the world's most impressive people and successful people. And I have learned so much. And I wanted to share that. So that is the hope of this podcast exactly. My generation, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I'm a millennial, but... I think I'm a bit different because I had a child very early. So mm -hmm. I kind of, and then I had this crazy government experience. What a weirdo. You so had a kid I, yeah, in your but, 20s. I mean, truly, you know, 24 pregnant, 25, one month after my birthday at Aurora, my friends thought I was bananas. So they I'm said, envious. what the hell? I would have loved to have done that. It's I'm hard sitting here though. at 48. I sometimes think, what, did I miss my, you once said to me, you are, you seem, you wrote me recently, you said, you seem like you're trying to do everything really fast. What's mm, going on with you? Woman in a rush. And I've been thinking about that. And I said, I think I'm trying to make up for, in my mind, seven years of a resume that I don't have. You know, I'm, I haven't worked really in an official capacity. I have never had a paycheck talking about women. I go out there and, and try to inspire women in Sweden. I'm a chump that works for free. Well, so, I, would, I mean, I think I'm kind of wound up like this now. And I think of you all the time. But you know what? You were asked to do yeah. things. It's not like you I were know. begging. I know. Um, they all wanted you there and you rose up. So I wouldn't put... I wouldn't put so much emphasis on the fact that you didn't take home a paycheck. By the way, Vice President Joe Biden, he's one of the proponents for embassy wives mm. to get a freaking paycheck Absolutely. because it is a full-time job it's doing the first what you did. Thing he said to me. Yeah. There's huge awesome. value in what you brought to the table and what you learned there. Now you have to monetize it, and they should pay you quite well for this podcast, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, you have to monetize it and not yeah. worry so much. I do like the self-deprecating I'm a chump who doesn't make a paycheck check, you know, in the first couple of years when you're getting up on stage. And I think that's fair because, you know, you've got to find what your calling is. And it took me mm. about 27 years to figure out what it is I was meant to do. And it's know your value. Mm. It's know your value. It's not TV. That was a, a vehicle mm -hmm. that got me the experience that got me so underpaid, that got me so abused at where I was working, that got me finally the voice that I needed to get the money I deserved, a voice now I pass on to other women. That didn't happen overnight. So calm down. Everything that's <laughs> happening to you right now is where you're going to go. Yeah. But the question about what millennials can do better, and I think you've already done something. I'm going to tell you what it is. Um, I think that's what you get from us in these interviews. Mm -hmm. You get the secret sauce for the next generation and get us to talk about what didn't work. Forget our incredible careers and how amazing we are. Blah, blah, blah. I'm serious. I am so tired of people telling me, oh my God, it's so amazing. Morning, Joe. No, no, no. no I want to know what didn't work from me because if I were a millennial, I wouldn't want to make the same mistake because this hasn't been fun what every day. What didn't work for you? I'll, you know what? The schedule. The schedule was horrendous. The schedule killed me. The schedule has made me addicted to drugs. The constant working, the constant being in a rush, that look I see in your face, 
it's not attractive when you have too much mm -hmm. of it. Um, the obsessiveness of the media culture that makes you feel like you have to sleep with your phone. These are the things you want to ward off before you can't stop yourself anymore because it is a sickness and your kids actually want you to look at them and talk to them and be with them. And it sometimes becomes difficult when you are so consumed and so pulled at from so many different directions. And then it becomes the only thing you can do. It becomes the only thing you can offer. And so I have to say that for me, that's been the struggle. That's been like, okay, this is providing so much good for my family, but my family needs me. And I haven't ever been able to strike it right. You won't every day, but you might be able to do it better. And here's the one thing you've done already without even knowing it. You had a kid at 24. It's fantastic. I urge millennials to think about the fact that the person they're going to marry is probably the biggest decision they're ever going to make. Mm -hmm. And the person that um, they decide to have kids with, that's like a huge, that should be as important as your career. You should look for that person. And my God, I don't think having kids young is a bad thing. I think it's one of the best things you could do in the whole world. It makes you richer. It makes Absolutely. you smarter. makes you stronger. If you didn't have that shit on your leg when you walked into the embassy, it wouldn't have been that hard for you. Women are putting off having kids thinking it's not something they should even think about mm. till they're 32. I don't agree at all. I really don't because I think that challenge of making everything so much harder, but also doing the most important thing in your life. And that is bringing along a, a partner to, to watch you grow and to grow with you and, and babies to share it with, mm. no matter how it works out. Ultimately, those are relationships that you will have forever. And those are people you can share your worth with. And I actually think the challenge of it all just, I'm sorry, there's nobody who's had the experience you've had as an embassy wife. Nobody. Mm. Because you, you had Aurora and because you guys were broke <laughs> and, you know, all those things make you stronger. So I think millennials are like, they want it all to be in place and to have their money mm. and to figure out like all their friends and everything and everything's coming right away. And I just, it's got to be hard. It's got to be hard. And if it's not hard, you're getting nowhere. But how I want to talk a little bit about kind of marriage and more men. Are men today ready for strong women? I think they are. I think I think some aren't. But I, I actually think the part that we can control is ourselves. And my biggest mistake uh, in my closest relationships has been thinking they're not ready. Because it's just like if you think your kids are going to hate that you're going to leave and you feel so bad about leaving them and you're like, sorry, baby, and you feel so bad and you cry when you're taking them to school. Well, they get upset. Like I remember the Montessori teacher when I was, um, God, when Amelia was two and I would drop her off, I would be so tired, I would be limp, but I'd be horrified that I was not going to be spending the day with her. And the teacher took me by my wrist and she was like, stop it, please, you're making my job harder. Okay, your kid is going to be fine if you're fine. If you're fine with dropping her off, it's easier for me because she's not upset. She's going to be upset right now because you're upset. And I think the same is with men, not to say they're children, but um, can be sometimes. No, but I, I think sometimes we are so worried about, oh, my God, I make more money. Oh, my God, I feel so bad because I, I don't want to look like I'm and, and we're kind of imposing what we think they're thinking on them. Mm -hmm. If you command respect and command that it is expected, you'll be doing this. A, a lot of them are already there. They're good with more money. 
They're good with more money, believe me. <laughs> um, you've got to be good with yourself. And I really wasn't. And I really stressed out about the rise in my celebrity. And I think I was my own worst enemy, uh, quite frankly, in, in, in most of my, especially in my closest relationships with my husband and my kids. I think I overcompensated. I was nervous all the time. It's the worst thing you can do. In some ways, I feel like I wish, I, I feel like a failure as a parent because in many ways I sucked up to my kids feeling so bad about everything. And why? I'm awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if there had been a little bit of that, I think there would have been a lot less of some of the challenges that I've endured. Would you change anything career-wise? <laughs> would you change anything? Would you do that overnight shift? Because I've often thought, how the heck did she do that? I don't know if or, I would do the overnight shift again. I don't know. I don't know. I had a really bad accident on the overnight shift and uh, it involved Carly and, and falling down a flight of stairs. I, I just can't look at anyone in the eye and say I would do that again, knowing that that was in the cards. So I think that for sure, and what I do say unequivocally, is that it would not have gone back to work as soon as I did. Mm. And I'm forever not grateful that it was offered to me in this way because it was a network job as a network anchor and I was being plucked from local. Who would say no to that? Mm. But then you find out the fine print at that point, it was freelance with no benefits and certainly no maternity leave. So I was really frantic about getting back. So imagine being up all night with a baby to, you know, your first one. And I found myself at one point, like, so exhausted that I was in tears and I was like in a fetal position on the bathroom floor on the seventh floor of CBS trying to figure out how to get it together for the show. And like a week after that, I fell down the stairs with Carly. I, I went back too soon. I was hormonally, emotionally, and physically not ready to go back to work. And then I remember feeling even worse about myself because... I spent five weeks in the hospital with her because she was in traction. Okay, like worst mother of the year award. In fact, we did a Christmas card. We have these Christmas cards, which are like They're awesome, family though. jokes. Yes. And that one was really iconic, I have to say, because it was me, Jim, Amelia, and Carly in the hospital room, all of us in hospital gowns, her leg up in traction. And it said, Merry Christmas from the mother of the year. <laughs> and at this point, we were learning to laugh about what had happened. But it's not funny, <laughs> ultimately, because all the pressures of the job and the financial pressures of having no maternity leave made me make the wrong decision. Ultimately, that was my decision. I went back too soon. I did not enjoy my baby at all for the first two years of her life because of that trauma and the trauma. Of, and that's just not worth it. It's not. And if you don't have to do it, you shouldn't. And we should have just been broker. <laughs> it, yeah. it would have been better. So I'll never say that I would wish that shift on anybody. I'm glad you bring up maternity and paternity leave. And you've visited us in Sweden. And part of the reason I'm such a fanatic about Sweden is because they really have the most generous system in the world. Women take a year, men take a year, basically. Then the child is in free subsidized daycare. And when I was moving to Sweden with a two-year-old screaming all the time. And I will admit, 
and this is so provocative to say in America or anywhere, I also did not enjoy it. I was dying. I thought I should be working. I thought I should be somewhere else. I did not have this wonderful mommy time. I was elsewhere, even though I stayed at home. So as I moved to Sweden, I was convinced this was utopia. I was going to meet all these women that were CEOs. I was going to see these family units where the men are cooking and the women are coming home with, you know, paying the bills. And it was going to be perfect. Lo and behold, even though in Sweden they have everything that we're fighting for in America, they do. There's still a paltry level of women reaching the top. There are not that many CEOs. There are not, there are no, which is what I love about the millennial, there are no entrepreneurs. There's no big tech startup founders, maybe one that I know. And I started to think about it more and, and the Swedes began to tell me, you know, yes, Natalia, we have a lot of women in the workforce, but that doesn't mean we have a lot of women leaders mm -hmm. in the workforce. Women do not feel comfortable standing out. It's a Swedish norm. Be humble, be reserved. Don't promote yourself. Don't stand out. It's also a gender norm. I think women everywhere. I mean, this is Sheryl Sandberg's whole argument. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to promote ourselves. It's ugly. You're too much about yourself. So this has kind of been this theory. I realized this is it, you know, stand out, a call to action. And this is kind of what I'm going to be exploring through this podcast and asking each of my interviewees, Mika, how do you stand out? By knowing your value and communicating it effectively. And you talk about why you were so confused when you went to Sweden and they have these great rules and regulations surrounding maternity and paternity leave and everybody has the time to be with their kids and go back to work and still there's this inequality and there's the gap between women who work and women who lead that is the difference the the concept of knowing your value and being able to say it and wanting to say it because here's the deal it's not utopia it's still hard to have kids it's even harder to have kids and work it's not going to get easier. We can do little things to make it work for families, but we can't make it easier because having children is a fundamental challenge in life. Working toward a career or a goal or a deal or developing a platform is hard. And it's going to take really hard work. It's going to take uh, women who are willing to give it their all. And there's not going to be certain rules and regulations that make it easier for them. It's still going to be hard because standing out means actually being the best and finding a way to say it. Um, my platform, Know Your Value, um, is really what I do to try and tell women to learn to say it. Like, do you know what your value is? Can you tell me in 20 seconds or less, Natalia, what your brand is and what you're worth? Yes or no, can you? Just you saying that makes me very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect answer. So no next time. Because I'll tell you what mine is. I'm the co-host of Morning Joe, and I'm often called the glue. I'm also the sponsor, the founder, the mentor, and the creator of the Know Your Value movement. And I'm going to teach women around the world to know their value and communicate it effectively. And they are going to make more money like I did. That's my brand. I can say it. And I think that was exactly 20 seconds or less. And you should be able to, too. And God knows Maria sitting over there can tell me what her value is and that she's not getting enough because you're not going to get what you're worth until you get there. But you will get it if you can say it again, again and again and again, because you've got to practice it. And 
You know, we were talking before we started this podcast about this speech I did. I was sweating bullets. It was, I was actually filling in for Sheryl Sandberg of all people, which is a nerve wracking enough, but it was 15,000 people. I go around the country speaking about this. I hate speaking to real people. I love cameras. Okay. I can handle the camera. Real people make me nervous. You know why? Because they're looking at me. He's looking at me. I'm nervous. What do I look like from here? And what exactly are they looking at? And am I sending the right message with everything? And what's my posture like? And exactly is my voice in the right place? It actually is a fabulous voice, but I've trained it. You got to get it down here and not up here because that's really annoying. And when you're stressed, it's really up here. All these things are on your mind. When you're putting yourself out there in front of people, you've got got to do that in order to learn to stand out. You've got to put yourself outside your comfort zone and get good at it when the lights are on and you're feeling the burn. And I'm not talking about Bernie Sanders, although I do feel the burn <laughs> with Bernie too. Thank you, Mika. And I promise you at the end of this podcast journey, I will give you that 20 seconds. Good. We'll do it at Thanksgiving. I love it. Thank you. This podcast is a collaboration with Doggins Industry and ACAST. Produced by Henrik Janssen and ACAST. With Sandra Moline as supervising producer and Carl Rosander as executive producer. 